Um, I was telling Garrett that um, I found it really interesting that uh, when I was reading this PC Gamer article uh, about Jeff Kaplan, uh, it was very interesting. So the way that he got recruited to Blizzard is that he was a an officer in an EverQuest guild. Ha! And it was like one of the the highest, most prominent North American guilds. And in his off time, he would mess around with Worldcraft, which was the Half-Life map editor. And um, some of his guildmates asked to try out his maps. And then after doing so, invited him to lunch. And over the uh, a series of lunches of, I think it says six months, um, they ended up being job interviews, and he got started at Blizzard, uh, becoming a design lead on World of Warcraft. Wow. Uh, that's pretty fascinating. It's, yeah. Uh, I think it's super interesting that it just, you know, do something as simple as being a, a hardcore EverQuest addict led to this crazy 20-year career at Blizzard. I think we're good to go here. So, uh, welcome to this week's episode of the Cohops Podcast. I'm Zach, and joined as always by Nick and Garrett. Howdy, hey hey. And uh, this week, uh, as always, we feature a special beer of the episode. And this week, Nick, excuse me, this week Garrett picked the beer. Um, go ahead and introduce it for us. Uh, today, we're going to be drinking the Wander Dog Lost Pilsner. Um, it is a German style Pilsner, uh, 5.1% ABV, 30 IBUs. Um, it's made with 100% German grown Mercure and Herzbrücker hops. And I probably butchered the pronunciation. I tried um, practicing several <laughs> times and I probably just didn't get it right. But um, pretty impressive that uh, uh, and interesting that they used you know, 100% grown German hops. And this is just at random. I've never had this before. We were trying to pick a beer for the week, and I went, eh, let's do a local brewery that uh, we haven't picked yet. So I picked Wander. They have really, really solid beer. So yeah, Pilsner, something a little lighter this week. Yeah, Pilsner is definitely something that we have not had anything like it before. This one is pretty good. Uh, I'm enjoying it so far. It's very malty. Um, it's a totally different flavor profile from anything we've covered before, but it's nice and refreshing. It's a nice sort of spring, not too heavy beer. Yeah, and the the design on the can has some nice. Uh, are those hibiscus flowers? I don't know why that makes me think of spring. Maybe just the color palette, but uh, yeah, it feels like something you would drink. It's got in a, a very. Nice... It's got a very Easter color palette on the. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, on it, the can, it looks so. like a pattern that you would see on swim shorts. There you go. Yeah. Or a Hawaiian T-shirt. Oh, exactly. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, yeah, I. I was uh, thinking beforehand had I if I have much experience with Pilsners, and I don't believe I do. So this is, uh, and I also don't have much experience with Wander. I think I've only had one beer that they've produced, which was uh, I think the Shutas IPA. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, both of these I'm uh, very interested in. Have, can you tell more about Wander? Because I really don't know much about them. Um, to be honest, I don't know much about them other than their location. And I love their beers. They've got a beer warehouse, um, uh, right kind of across the street from Bellingham high school. Um, if you're familiar with the area and, uh, it's a brewery and then they have food trucks that come through one of the, um, 
several that kind of popped up at the same time uh, right around when Bellingham started getting really big and in, into uh, microbreweries. So uh, not a not a large outfit, but they produce more and more different varieties of beer every year. Uh, it's a real popular spot for outdoors uh, people. You know, you'll you'll usually see the parking lot full of mountain bikes or skis or you know any type of outdoor equipment and people sitting outside uh, ordering from the food truck and then just pints and pints of beer everywhere. So uh, it's it's a really cool spot. I really like it. There's a comic store that we used to go to a lot, uh, Zach and I, uh, that used to be right around that same area. So that's Hey, it. I went there too. That's oh, where okay. I met you. <laughs> oh, is that right? I remember... Yeah. Don't um, count me out. <laughs> uh, uh, it's funny. I remember our uh, trips out of town together for Heroclix more than getting together mm-hmm. at, at Cosmic for Heroclix. But yeah, that store changed ownership and moved and... Uh, it's not quite the same anymore. It's still a great place, but, um, but I'll always have a fondness for the Bellingham high school location. Yeah. This is, uh, just the taste of this beer is great. Like I've, I've not, um, as I I mentioned briefly, I I have not had much experience with Pilsners that I can recall. Uh, I really like this. I, I, uh, would totally pick this up again. I wish I got more. I'm, I'm feeling a little under the weather, so I only got one just to to try it out for the episode. But kind of regretting that because uh, I'm gonna want to have some more when I'm feeling better. Well, I bought I bought a four pack, so I'll save one for you and I'll drink three. How about that? Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, do, I don't I'm sorry I don't want to share, and I brought three with me, and I'm probably gonna drink all three uh, throughout the episode. <laughs> yeah, I usually... shout out to Ian. <laughs> I usually get two and save one for the Instagram post uh, to keep an unopened can in the uh, in the shot, but I might drink both just now and get another one. I guess it makes it difficult to try to like preemptively take the photo because you don't know what we're going to talk about. So exactly. If you want <laughs> to include some other random things in it, right? Mm-hmm. Nick, you just need to get creative. Uh, puncture a hole in the bottom, just drink it all at once, and then oh, you've got yeah. a sealed can, you know. <laughs> Beautiful. Illusion. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> yeah, just get a wide glass, poke a hole in the bottom, let it drain out into the glass. Mm-hmm. There you go. Genius. Well, let's uh, let's check back in in a little bit with this and see how we're still feeling about it. Um, uh, jumping into the next section here, what uh, any cool news any games you guys have been playing you want to touch on any cool additions to the collection uh let's start with you garrett uh we very topical we just talked about this uh last episode um sony rolled back the decision to destroy the playstation 3 and vita store Hooray. so <laughs> the the giant uh everybody buying everything up before they were going to close um uh, for all the reasons that we talked about last episode sony went we made a bad decision and so we are going to support the PS3 and PS Vita, um, you know, in an online capacity for quite some time um, because people found out that under certain very common conditions, they were going to lose access to their games. And there were uh, several back catalogs of games where the physical prices just skyrocketed, right, Zach? Yeah, the, it feels really bad for all the people who went out and spent a bunch of money on these thinking that they were going to be gone and that the value or or maybe they were speculating right that it's good and these things mm-hmm. may come crashing down they may keep their price but there's a lot of stuff and not even good games that uh have, have jumped up a ton in price but even good games like i i used this uh service as a way to play ps1 games that were way outside my price range 
uh, classic stuff like the Suikoden series. Suikoden 2 is, what, $200 at least? Uh, two times that if you want it complete. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so um, it's, I mean, if you don't want to pay $400 for, for a PlayStation <laughs> 1 disc. So then... can I pay $200 for half a disc? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, you might be able to pay $200 for the disc oh. with, with nothing else. <laughs> I, I think I saw, um, I uh, took a trip down the Oregon coast with my mom uh, just before trips were no longer a thing that you could do so uh probably february 2020 and uh i stopped by a little local game store and i saw a totally beaten up like cracked right across the jewel case uh cover uh version of suikoden 2 for 200 dollars uh and so yeah, that's that's probably the worst case scenario for condition on that thing, unless it actually doesn't function. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy how expensive some of these old games are because of low production runs and whatnot. And like, it kind of makes sense for old cartridge based games, but I think about like the PS One era, and it still blows my mind how something from that era can be like four hundred dollars, just because it was not it didn't. I don't know in the case of Suikoden 2, I've never played it or researched it much, but it's like considered one of the best JRPGs ever. So obviously, maybe has that, do you know, Nick, has that status come after the fact? I, I think it is something of a cult classic. I I don't recall the exact circumstances because I was mm. quite young when the, when the game came out, but my understanding is that... Uh, in a world where Final Fantasy VII exists and has 3D graphics and big bombastic presentation, a sprite-based game that looks like a Super Nintendo game with a slight amount of flashiness is a harder sell. And later on, people were able to uh, see through that to the fact that it is a more interesting story beneath all that um at least in in my opinion i like the suikoden games a lot and suikoden 2 is definitely the the best of them but suikoden 1 is a nice bite-sized 15-ish hour jrpg which is kind of refreshing um and i can get on with that yeah uh i get the sense ramped it up for the second game (laughs) yeah it's isn't it over 100 hours it's uh, pretty long it it can be um, the Suikoden games tend... I guess it depends how tend... completionist you want to be, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Suikoden games tend to be, uh, tend to have a lot of side content you can seek out by nature of having as many characters as they do. Uh, because the, the whole inspiration for this, uh, uh, this series is the classic Chinese novel Tales from the Water Margin, which uh, features 108, like, star-crossed destined warriors. And so there are 108 characters that you collect in each Suikoden game, and uh, naturally some of them are not going to be super fleshed out, um, and you don't have to catch them all, as it were, but... Uh, you can go out of your way and find uh, all of those characters. And it's uh, there are some really interesting ones, but there's also a bunch that don't uh, don't matter at all. With games like Dragon Quest XI and Final Fantasy XV like on my slate, I don't think that I'll ever get around to 
<laughs> sweep it into with a hundred and eight protagonists. I'm not. <laughs> hey, you never know because you can play it handheld, right? And that that's a good way to to chunk down those long games. Absolutely, play it on your Vita. That's the main. That's the other main thing that I used this service for was playing PS1 games uh, on the go, on the bus, or at school, or what have you. There's a really uh, fascinating upcoming game. Uh, I don't know if either of you have heard of it, but I think it's pronounced Ayudin Chronicles. Um, I'm not really sure on the pronunciation of the first word, but it's a, I think it's supposedly a spiritual successor to Suikoden 2, and it's made by some of the people who created that game. And it was something that I kickstarted and am desperately putting out of my mind because I don't want to think about it because it's not coming out for a while. But uh, when it does, I'm, I'm excited to get into that. You refreshed my memory with Kickstarter. How could I forget to not talk about this? Because I talk about fighting games and Monster Hunter every week. I'm sorry, audience. Ah, uh, yes. Monster Hunter World, the board game by Steamforge Games, just started their Kickstarter. And they are currently at over $3 million raised out of 200000 and um, I went I went all in uh, and I'm going to have Nick over the next year before it actually comes out uh, train help train me to paint. Um, and then I might also enlist his help in painting these because uh, they have all 14 weapons. There are currently 12 monsters. And then every day they're coming out with bonus like alt sculpts for all the different weapons and some of the, the cats, the palicos in the game. So I am very much looking forward to that the estimated release date is september 2022 so it's gonna be a long wait but uh i'm i'm very excited i cannot wait for that to come out it looks really cool just from the renders of the miniatures they look uh really interesting they have fun dynamic poses and the monsters are huge um the games that i play tend to have base sizes between say 30 and 50 maybe 75 millimeters sometimes larger in the case of big warhammer stuff but uh all of the monsters are like 120 millimeter base minimum uh so they're all huge and then you have your regular normal sized hunters um it it looks pretty cool i am not sure how the mechanics will be i haven't looked into those too much i mostly just looked at the pretty monsters but i can share some videos with you nick i've watched like four playthroughs of the prototype so nice yeah don't i'll send you some links after the show (laughs) excellent (laughs) but that's that's really it for me is uh the sony news i wanted to make sure i got an update on that and then uh uh my second kickstarter i kickstarted trogdor the board game Uh, Ah. which was it's amazing uh that one actually i it finished and it shipped and and my wife and i play it all the time but yeah monster hunter world the board game 2022 at the end of it (laughs) wonderful and what about you nick anything uh interesting going on in your world uh yeah i tried a bunch of stuff i (laughs) i wish i had better news about any of the things that i'm talking about this week um Uh, I'll touch on it it briefly because I touched on it briefly. I tried Fire Emblem Warriors, which I picked up recently. I've spoken about my love for Fire Emblem and uh, how I wanted to collect Fire Emblem Warriors just to have a copy of it because it's a Fire Emblem game, sort of, uh, and that maybe it would be the thing to change my mind about Musou games, the Dynasty Warriors style, like move through a big map just carving up mindless enemies um 
and it doesn't sound like it did it did not it's <laughs> it has some interesting ideas it has like the weapon triangle system in it which is pretty cool and you can pair up your fighters like you can in fire emblem so it transports some interesting stuff into that that game's sort of mold but you're still like swinging a sword and hitting like 60 enemies all at once and uh, i finished i think it was the second mission of the game uh having killed 1200 enemies in it uh in sounds about right in probably 15 minutes um yeah it just it there's something so unsatisfying and non-impactful about the way that playing those games feels and it's just the opposite of the kind of tension and emotion that fire emblem is to me so that will sit on my shelf just being a part of my collection for for the foreseeable future um but uh the other thing i did with my switch this week was i tried a game that was recommended or at least asked about by uh, a friend of the show uh, matt on facebook asked if any of us had tried blasphemous uh, which is for those who don't know it is an indie game it is very much in the metroidvania mold um, it has a lot of christian imagery and it takes place in a world where there has been an apocalypse of sorts that uh, has a distinctly like christian uh, faith-based theme to it. There are a lot of people lugging around uh, stone crosses and uh, a lot of uh, a lot of various like Christian, uh, like I said, I guess Christian imagery. And uh, it's an interesting idea. It has elements of Dark Souls in it, in addition to being a regular Castlevania-type exploration game um when you die instead of having to reload a save uh you go back to a checkpoint a a little shrine basically a bonfire from dark souls but instead of losing all of your currency you leave a little mark in the world that you can go pick up and until you pick it up you gain currency um tears of the forsaken i want to say um <laughs> this is pretty good um uh, you you gain those at a slower rate. And so instead of taking away all of your progress, it just slows your progress. And hmm. sort of like uh, like in some of these games, you can go to a, uh, a vendor and get them to absolve your guilt. I think it's a shard of guilt that you leave in the in the universe. Um, it's. It's interesting. Uh, it is certainly doing things a little differently. Is this a 2D, like, side-scrolling game? Yeah. I don't know anything about this game. I think I own it. I think I got it in a Humble Bundle, but <laughs> I've never even looked at it. Um, I just know of it. Yeah. It exists. It's a, it is a 2D um, side-scrolling game. It has pixel art, uh, and that kind of gets into one of my first problems with it is that it's it's pixel art in the modern age uh, came out in the last five years or so, uh, but it is going for a sort of photorealistic style. It's not very stylized, and so it ends up feeling like the pixelated 
uh, style is not an intentional choice, which these days it kind of feels like it has to be. So it, it ends up actually reminding me a lot of the original Monkey Island in the close-ups, uh, for example, when you're talking to the guy in the bar with the pin that says, ask me about Loom, where they're trying to go for like a, uh, a photo real art style, but they don't have the pixels to do it. And this felt a little bit like that in contrast to things like Shovel Knight and Hollow Knight, which mm-hmm. uh, in the former's case, it uses pixels as a distinct style and makes those characters very expressive uh, or Hollow Knight, which is all hand drawn and doesn't doesn't use pixels at all because you don't have to anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. So the the far away shots, like the normal gameplay, would you say that it, that looks fine, but it's like the more close up shots, it kind of loses its style? Well, it's it's all it's all far away because it's all uh, it's all just in that um, that view that like mm-hmm. whole screen view like you would expect in in say in early Castlevania and it reminds me thematically a lot of Castlevania which also has some uh Christian imagery but it has a lot of other things going on too and this is very much just like dark ages crusades that sort of fear of god uh medieval era and well hence the name blasphemous yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but it I am the blasphemer. <laughs> yeah. Uh but it doesn't feel like it's trying to say anything in particular uh about Christianity or about much in general. It's just kind of using the imagery and lots of lots of words. Uh your character is the penitent one, but what he's penitent for, we don't really know and, and that might be something that comes up later in the game. But, uh, how long have you uh, how long have you sunk into it so far? Uh, I'd say about three hours, so not not a whole lot. I'm not sure how long it'll be. I've gotten to the point where I've uh, gotten through several of the little sub zones, uh, like for example in Castlevania, which uh, it comes up a lot because it's a, a clear <laughs> influence uh, for this. You would have like the clock tower or the gardens and things like that, and so there are different areas. There is a there is a lab uh, with a bunch of ooze uh, around it. There is naturally a, a big chapel. Um, there's a sort of marsh wastes and a sand dunes. Um, there's there's some interesting variety in in the the zones but i can't see myself playing too much more of it because my my biggest i've buried the lead my biggest uh issue with it is that it's just very sluggish and it's not super fun to play there's nothing wrong with it necessarily but it doesn't flow in the smooth way that something like symphony of the night or hollow night uh, does and so it's it's not really grabbing me but it is cool that it's out there and i can see how it would connect with people it just didn't really connect with me well and coming just off playing hollow knight you know and then coming to play this which is very slow you know you could kind of see i could kind of see that especially with the art style and the different ways that they tell their story just from you describing it because i haven't played this game either i'm aware of it but yeah I, i could see where it would be a little tough getting into this one yeah, I, I think uh, you're right. It is a bit of an unfair comparison because Hollow Knight is so amazing. Uh, but 
definitely uh, doesn't doesn't hold up to the the comparison. Well, Zach, what about you? Oh wait, no, sorry, Nick, you had one more thing. Oh yeah, exactly. Um, so I will touch on this quickly. I don't want to spoil too much because uh, this came out a week and a half ago as of when you're listening to this. Um, and I still need to watch it. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, full disclosure, it came out yesterday as of us recording it. This is the Mortal Kombat movie. Uh, I really enjoy that first Mortal Kombat movie, and it's dumb and fun uh, and just delightful. Christopher Lambert as Raiden just cackling is a treat. Um and I kind of wish that this one had had a little bit more of that sort of dumb fun to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, uh, I, I feel like it's uh, definitely exemplified by the end credits theme song, uh, which is that Mortal Kombat theme song from the first movie, uh, but it's remade and it's remade in a sort of modern techno style and no, it's don't it, tell me it's dubstep <laughs> and like it's uh... kind of a little bit and it's uh... and that that really summarizes the movie because it's much more technically proficient but it's a lot less creatively interesting uh i i enjoyed uh, a lot of the special effects and a lot of the martial arts it's a really well made movie from that perspective but the script is absolutely horrible um it's there's there's a lot of ways in which it's bad but in particular uh the dialogue is very stilted and the sort of quips uh especially from kano uh fall flat and are more annoying than anything um yeah it it really didn't capture my uh (laughs) my interest and my attention in the same way that the performances of like Christopher Lambert and uh, Carrie Hiroyuki Tagawa did in that original one. And uh, yeah, in, in general, there was not much charisma to spare among the entire cast, but I do have to shout out um, the guy who played Sub-Zero, Joe Taslim. Uh, he's pretty great and he's very expressive, uh, even even just through his eyes when he's wearing the mask as Sub-Zero most of the time. And he he was uh, in a movie that I mentioned in one of the early episodes called The Swordsman, and he was one of my favorite parts about that movie. So I'm really glad to see his performance was good in this one as well. Yeah, I really want to check that out. He was good in a, uh, uh, I guess, relatively small part. He was not one of the three like main stars, but he was in The Raid, and he was really good in that. Um, and uh, the actor who played scorpion was also great and um i also kind of liked the actress who played sonia blade but everyone else just really uh really didn't didn't hit for me um can i say a random thing about sonia blade because it just popped in my head oh absolutely when the the other uh a couple weeks ago we had mentioned uh we were talking about i asked you guys your favorite mortal Kombat games and uh, i had mentioned deadly alliance and i put it in recently after we recorded that and sonia blade her shirt is like glued to her body it's so (laughs) bizarre it's like take uh like a food saver like how it suctions to the food that's what her (laughs) shirt looks like i was looking at the rendering of her in that game and i was like what the fuck like i just don't understand how this passed anybody's approval 
It's so ridiculous. Anyway, continue <laughs> your story. That's funny. Um, Food saver shirt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I suppose. Um, yeah, this this movie is very violent, but it doesn't have really any uh, blatant sexual anything. There's a bit of male gaze in that first uh, Mortal Kombat movie where, um, like, the shots of Sonya Blade are maybe framed in a in a certain way to show off things, and this really doesn't have that. Um, but the uh, one of the great things about it is it is very faithful to the games in terms of the fatalities. Um, perhaps a little too faithful because I think I recognized every single fatality as a <laughs> fatality from the games. Um, it's like, hmm, perhaps I would have liked to have seen something new. But uh, it, it was it was definitely made by people who care a lot about the games. Um, but it maybe didn't have as much of its own thing going on where maybe there wasn't as much reverence for the material in that first Paul Thomas Anderson uh, Mortal Kombat movie but that let them take some weird different paths and make something a little more interesting so I would not recommend it but um, certainly if you have HBO Max it's free you don't have to well free after the subscription um, you don't have to go pay and see it in a theater. I would definitely not recommend doing that. Uh, even if it were uh, totally safe and fine to see things in theaters. It's, yeah. I was sad to uh, not be having as good a time. Uh, I'll, I'll put it this way. I was sad to be watching this instead of that first one. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, I, I'm lo I'm looking forward to seeing it. I've heard some rumblings about because of where it is and that they were afraid that audiences would get lost. They pretty much made kind of an Avengers-level ensemble movie without fleshing out the characters, and they used the new character as kind of a vehicle for for exposition dumps. And it's like, yeah, this is a this is something this is a movie that's supposed to be about the game which is about cool fights and very like very good characters who all have different backstories all coming together and being in this tournament and that might not have been the right way to do it but i bet you just like venom it's going to get a bunch of people's eyeballs on it and they <laughs> will I, yeah i know but you know then they'll get more of it right and hopefully it's not as as terrible as venom was but uh we'll see i i got to check it out i i'm still it, it's sitting there, uh, and and I'm gonna watch it, and and I'll I'll give you my thoughts on it after I watch it. Yeah, I'm I'm curious to hear what you think of it. Um, it's it's funny. I wasn't even like a big Mortal Kombat fan, or probably even paying attention to the those movies back when that first Mortal Kombat movie came out. But I have a lot of nostalgic affection for it, um, just from watching it in the last 10 years or so. Uh, and so per perhaps I just wanted something from this movie that it wasn't, but it definitely checks out uh, what you said about it being an ensemble movie built uh, built with just a stand-in main character. I found him not super compelling, um, though it was interesting because you know kind of where all the other characters are going to end up on their their path of um, gaining powers and things, and he is a total 
uh, wild card because he's not in the game, so you don't know what's going on with him. Um, and I would be curious to see if they try to put him in the games going forward, but at the same time, I don't know that he's actually interesting enough to be worth it. So I'm very curious to hear what you guys think of it, but I, uh, I'm not optimistic. I, I've not been the biggest uh, fan of either of the old movies, so... <laughs> I I'm gonna watch it. My wife. Boo! Wants to watch it. <laughs> that first movie is a gem. It's it's a movie. It's got f- funny moments and. Dude, I'm gonna clockwork orange are... your eyes, and we're gonna watch it like twelve times on repeat. You are gonna watch big rubber puppet Goro get punched in the nuts until you like it. Yeah, that's right. Just that scene on repeat. Oh, you signed up for this. Just remember that, Zach. That's fine. I'll, I'll allow it, I guess. <laughs> Just listen to Christopher Lambert's weird accent and listen to him cackle. Just yes. <laughs> <laughs> How could you not love that? But anyway, uh, Zach, what have you been playing and collecting these days? Uh, so for playing, I've been. I started Castlevania: Aria of Sorrow, uh, which I recently picked up for the Game Boy Advance. It's a game that I've wanted to play for a long time, and I'm not that far into it. Maybe an hour or so. It's it's not a long game, but I also haven't had a ton of time to sink into it. Unfortunately, I know all of the story for the game. It was uh, ruined for me kind of on accident by me listening to a Retronauts episode where they were discussing it, and I meant to skip the the discussion about the game and failed to do so. So it's my own fault. Um... I also have been playing uh, The Show 21 that came out on uh, April 20th, and it's uh, it's lovely. I, I really enjoy it. I haven't played a show game since 2017. That was the last one I bought, and so I've been itching to get my hands on it. finally arrived, and I've, I've played a bunch of hours of that, and I'm really enjoying uh That's the first post-exclusivity one, right? It is, yeah. They uh, they put it out on the Xbox. Um, I have not had a chance to play with my buddy yet on Xbox to see how that crossplay will work, but the it's uh, I haven't heard anything about it being poor, so that's I guess a positive, right? Well, let me know, Zach, because I installed it in antip- anticipation playing with you, and uh, I heard uh, some other podcast I was listening to. They said that there's a home run derby mode. I'll ah. definitely press I'll I'll press A buttons online with you any day. <laughs> that sounds uh, like that fun. reminds me actually saying pressing A button. So the one thing I found really neat, and maybe the old games had this, but it wasn't as uh, it wasn't presented to you as clearly. But right when you start this game, it it has you set up your control scheme for all the aspects of the game. So hitting, fielding, pitching, base running. And you can use any of the control schemes they've ever had. So it's not you're not locked into, like, this is this year's control scheme. If you want to try out the new stuff this year, you can. But if you want to just stick with the old school, press X to, to regular swing, press square to power swing, you can do that too. Um, and I thought that was, that was a really cool uh, way to go about it. Because not everybody's going to want to try the what they call, I think it's pure analog, where you use the right stick to... Like when you're pitching, you trace uh, a motion on the um, on the the stick, the right stick, and mm-hmm. you have to. And there's a timing based and accuracy based element to getting your pitch correct. And so it's like it's got a higher level of skill involved, and it's I think it's more fun than just pressing like X, right? So 
mm-hmm. um, but they don't lock you into doing that, which I thought was really neat. That's very interesting. That reminds me of, you know, kind of how sports games are kind of going with, I think it was the, uh, the starting in like the NFL games with the truck stick. Yeah. No, it might've been that the NCAA Madden, games yeah. or Madden. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Everybody's like, Oh, you just truck stick them. That was, I remember playing football in high school uh-huh. and everybody's just like, I, I truck sticked them. And I'm like, <laughs> dude, we're actually playing football. You don't have to say truck stick. You hit them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But like the golf games, mm-hmm. uh, the fight uh, skate, EA skate, yeah, fight night. All of those games have gone for more of kind of a, a an analog based control instead of just hitting a button because it it feels more authentic that you're actually doing something. And and like you said, Zach, you have to you have to get really good and really accurate with that. But after some some practice, it it it's more to me. It's more satisfying to play with that control scheme and like know that I missed something because I mistimed it or I miss I misdid it other than being like, okay, little arrow goes over the little ball and then I hit the, the A button and then I do that pitch. Right. Go me. Yep. <laughs> and I remember there was a, uh, I can't remember what year it was, but an older version of uh, MLB 2K had a similar uh, mechanic of using the, the right analog stick for pitching and hitting, but it was much less refined than this one is. It was more just do the motion, whereas this one you've got when you throw the pitch, it it actually pops up on the screen. It'll say like you were this percent too fast, you were this percent accurate, you were this many degrees off your mark, and so it's like you're it's it's judging you on a number of factors to make sure that that pitch is as accurate as and where you place it. And when I first started using it, I was terrible. Every pitch I was throwing was just getting crushed because they'd just be meatballs down the middle of the plate. <laughs> and it wasn't until I, I went back and looked at the tutorial again that I realized I was missing an entire step of the process that I just wasn't doing. Oh. So. I see a theme. Zach, you don't like tutorials. You're like, <laughs> no. I want to play this game. And then you're like, why am I so bad? Let me go back and read the tutorials. We were... Uh, I hate tutorials. <laughs> pre, uh, pre-episode, we were discussing where we're at in Killer7, the game club of sorts uh, game that we have for this month. And uh, there is a character in that game who tells you things, basically tutorial things. Uh, and uh, the game gives you the choice to not stop and talk to him. So naturally, that's exactly what Zach did. <laughs> I ran right by him. And I was extremely confused about what was going on. And I had to backtrack to him and then spend 30 minutes reading all of his <laughs> text and reading, Master, we've got a problem over and over. Yes. Over We're in a tight spot. Over. We're in a tight spot. Thank you. Uh, Whatever he says. Man, that that's terrible. a weird game, even if you are taking advantage of all of the tools that they give you to understand what's going on. Uh, and then as far as news goes... Um, I uh, was I was talking about it a little bit right before the start of the show, uh, but yeah, Jeff Kaplan left Blizzard, uh, which I think was big news this past week. Um, you know, I don't know the two games he was involved with, World of Warcraft and Overwatch, were not games that I've played a ton of, but I have played I have played them for anywhere from like in the case of wow i've played that game since vanilla on and off for you know i probably put a couple hundred hours into it which is nothing comparatively to most people but oh man um, overwatch i've played 50 60 70 hours something like that and Mm -hmm. both games are are obviously very well designed and loved by the community and so it i think it takes a special kind of uh uh creative person on, on the team to have their name known and him being the face of the Overwatch team and doing all their videos, 
Uh, I, I'm really curious to see where he goes from here because there's nothing in his announcement that or that I've seen that's been announced of what what's next for him. I, but it doesn't sound you, like he's retiring either. Like that yeah, wasn't stated either. I bet you he's going to go to something like whatever the next MMO is going to be because after World of Warcraft, or I say after, they're still releasing expansions. <laughs> Jeff Kaplan was the the lead quest designer, as you were saying at the top of the episode, and he was running or one of the people running the project called uh, project titan which eventually became overwatch and that was supposed to be their genre blending mmo shooter and all of the mmo aspects got ripped out of it and then it became a first person competitive team based shooter um based in this universe that i don't know if he had a hand like actually designing the universe but you know as somebody with a background like that it's not too surprising that he's leaving, especially with all the other exits that are coming out of, of Blizzard and some of these AAA studios as they kind of shift their direction for either their monetization scheme or their design choices, scrapped projects, what have you. But given his passion, because I had never known that before you told me about his, the EverQuest and all that stuff before, that he's looking for something because the market, there's a market for it out there. And I don't really think that anything has ever been able to escape the shadow that is world of warcraft and and has been as successful as that i think the next closest is when final fantasy 14 got remade i think that's like the number two right now but but yeah i mean just thinking about his career and overwatch and you know he he has been the face of that for a long time and, and maybe he wants to take more of a of a passive or background role something where he's not so much in the spotlight given that Overwatch is a competitive shooter game, there's a high a high toxicity of like users and those type of things. And, and you know, you're always going to have dissenting opinions about your work, especially if you're in the public eye. But I couldn't imagine spending, you know, part of your life and your creative energy doing something like this and then just to kind of be crushed on a daily basis to, by the community itself. Yeah, and credit to Overwatch because the design of that game feels like it is at every step trying to eliminate opportunities and incentives for toxicity, doing things like not giving individual kill credit and crediting everyone who participated instead of being kill and assist and like not surfacing some of the stats like KD ratios and instead giving um like medals descriptive things at the end of a match saying here's the things you did well like that game feels like it was very carefully created to excise as much of the toxicity out of uh the shooting game community uh as it could and there's still only so much you can do and there's still gonna be people um yeah getting uh getting toxic and um and complaining about things complaining about balance and yeah i imagine that wears on you especially if that's not what you originally signed up for like creative careers and uh personality pr type careers are very very different and i think you get people like jeff kaplan in roles where they accidentally end up in a pr career and i imagine that's very exhausting if that's not the thing that you are truly passionate about so i i 
have come to really like him, especially as he's been the face of Overwatch. And so whatever is going on with him, I hope he is going to something, some project that he is passionate about. Because, like, obviously he has a massive amount of talent if he was so critical to personally my favorite system in world of warcraft the thing that kept me going all that time was the quests and following the story and um yeah i i played oh gosh the the time that i played that game is not measured in uh not measured in hours anymore but weeks and months so (laughs) so you're a normal wow player (laughs) like me who constantly has fallen off but still sunk hundreds of hours into the game which is kind of crazy right it's like it's a game mm-hmm. i don't identify as being a game that i particularly like but i've still put in that much time which is kind of crazy <laughs> yeah same same here played it on and off for a while but you know i just cracked my second pilsner a little bit late because i've just been engrossed in our conversation yeah. but uh jeff kaplan uh you are never gonna listen to this but um you know <laughs> cheers to you buddy uh you, you know you and your career and and uh hope nothing but good things come come of it come of your change uh from exiting blizzard so absolutely cheers and i look forward to seeing where you end up next who knows maybe we'll know before this episode comes out maybe he'll create the next greatest game which i don't know do you guys still want to go go with that question well let's yeah let's uh before we jump into the next question you mentioned cracking your second one. What's everyone thinking about the the uh, dog lost? It's still tasty. I, I really, really enjoy it. This is something where I really wish that um, – I wish it was warmer because this really kind of quenches my thirst. Uh, I'm sitting in a nice air-conditioned room, and uh, <laughs> it's, it's a little bit chilly, uh, but – Still, it's it's super enjoyable. I could see myself sitting outside after doing a bunch of yard work or going hiking and, and cracking open a p- this Pilsner and uh, it just being absolutely refreshing. Yeah, this is great. It Refreshing is the perfect word for it. My apartment has big windows in the living room facing out towards the sunset. So in the evenings, it gets really warm in here. And this is exactly perfect. Um, I'm, I'm really enjoying this and... Yeah, the, my thoughts still continue. Um, this is something I, I have not uh, thought about since the Kilt Lifter episode, but uh, I do find my help, myself struggling with the burpiness of this beer. Oh, yeah. I'm cu- I mean, you guys can see me on video, but I've been just covering my face and moving <laughs> my head. It is very bubbly, but uh, it doesn't bother me. Yeah, it's nice. <laughs> yeah. It adds to that refreshingness. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, let's let's move into the question of the episode here. This one comes from Brad via Facebook. Uh, shout out to Brad. Brad is somebody I've known uh, for a very long time since I was, I think, 15 years old. We used to play uh, Counter Strike 1.6 together almost every single day. Him and his brother uh, Blake, we would just play for hours upon hours, and and it's a testament to the kind of friendships you can build online when we don't really talk that much anymore. Um, he'll, he'll wish me happy birthday every year on Facebook. I'll do the same. and But he's listening to our show. And so just shout out to Brad. It's awesome to hear from you, dude. Hi, Brad. Um, so his question, uh, we, we he sent this in, and all of us really liked it. So Yeah, kudos to Brad um, for a great question. Mm-hmm. What's a game that doesn't exist today that you would love to see? Uh, an unmade sequel, a hybrid between two genres or games, a remake. He said for himself it's uh, Left 4 Dead 3 which mm. maybe getting your wish with 
Back for Blood, but it's not quite the same, right? Uh, there's the joke that Valve can't count to three, and it's uh, <laughs> sticking stick true. Even in Half-Life oh, yeah. 2 episodes. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so, Garrett, let's let's go ahead and start with you. So mine is going to be a fighting game, obviously. Um, oh, surprising. Shocked, <laughs> shocked right? <laughs> so I just have some of the fondest memories playing Marvel vs. Capcom in the arcade when I was a kid at the, at the Nickel Arcade, if I haven't mentioned it before. And my dad, having no interest in it, it would just sit there and watch me. The only caveat was that I had to pick Captain America because that was his favorite hero. Ah. So usually my team was Wolverine and Captain America, but... I played so many crossover fighting games and with uh, the popularity and the range of characters that you get in something like Super Smash Brothers Ultimate, I have to believe that somewhere in the future there's going to be the ultimate crossover game. Some people who are fighting game fans will say, yeah, Garrett, but there's there's Mugen, there's the Mugen <laughs> engine and people can just throw everything in you there. You took the words yeah, out of my mouth. <laughs> it's imbalanced as hell and it's, you know, it's people, fans, which, you know, they're doing great work. They're putting these characters in here, but it's unbalanced. The fighting system isn't really developed, but in this era of video games that kind of become services and get supported for years on end, what if they just had a crossover game, right? Marvel versus Capcom versus, I don't know, SNK, right? And then another company is like, hey, we want to get our characters licensed in there. Then they would do a season pack or a DLC pack, and it would be... Here's introducing five characters that this studio worked on to work in this specific engine worked on by professionals to make it all work and have kind of a tag team 2D fighting game. That would be my that would be my ultimate wish that I know is never going to happen. All right, so since this is a wish list item, who is your dream developer in this scenario? Who do you want making this game? Ooh. Oh, I would have said Capcom back in like the MVC3 days, but I have to say um um arc system works yeah arc system works has shown in the last five years that they can kill it with a tag team fighting game like with dragon ball fighters uh the hotly anticipated guilty gear strive is coming out where they're kind of kind of going back to roots and trying to gain more uh draw more people into the fighting game genre i think that they would have the best opportunity and the best talent um to be able to pull something like this off I would be really curious to see uh, what a smaller team like French Bread would do with it, too. Um, mm -hmm. I would be really curious. Uh, they're, they're the people who made Undernight in Birth EX late, whatever the rest of the title mm -hmm. to that game is now, uh, and the Melty Blood games. Um, I have a Did friend. Did you say mel Melty Blood? Melty Blood. Melty Blood. Yes. Melty yeah, Blood. Which, the, <laughs> I've never that's heard a, of this, but that's a, that's a title. <laughs> so the French Bread Studio, they're a subset of the Arc System Works uh, family. Oh, okay. So it's people that are people that are on Team – so Team Red, as I've, ex I've explained in previous episodes, Team Red is like – is Guilty Gear pretty much. And then they also did Dragon Ball Fighters. They do um, other work. There's a Dungeon Fighter Online game that's coming out. Um that's a, a fighting game that looks like Guilty Gear, but it's using Dungeon Fighter Online. That's Team Red. And then Team Blue is like Blaz Blue and a couple of the other ones. But French Bread is like some of those developers, obviously much smaller budget, much smaller team, but it's it's those those folks making Oh, that's games. funny. So basically I said, yeah. hey, Arxis would be cool, but what about Arxis? 
<laughs> yeah, but hey, it, that's a good thing. I mean, that's a good perspective to have because it's like, oh, well, cool. They're all part of those teams. Yeah, and they know how to make uh, characters that feel like their source material that come from other things uh, because that uh, Persona 4 fighting game, uh, Persona 4 mm. Arena and Arena Ultimax is really excellent. And as someone who loves Persona 4, they really nailed the the tone of those characters really well. So I think they would be a great choice to uh, incorporate characters from a bunch of different universes. Mm-hmm. I want to know what happened when they were coming up with this team name. They're like, all right, so you're you're part of uh, Team Red. You're part of Team Blue. You're going to be part of Team... No, fuck Team Green. We're French bread. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nick, I know you're going to have an interesting take on this, so I, I want to hear it. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, the the first things that immediately came to mind were some canceled projects, things like Star Wars 1313 or uh, Silent Hills that Ugh. it would have been really cool to see more of. Like PT, the playable teaser for Silent Hills is even just being a tiny free thing, one of the most interesting horror games in the last like decade. Um, just because of how reactive it is and reactive in so many different ways to what you're doing. And it's uh, it it's really fascinating. I could talk for a long time about how cool PT is, but um, thinking a little bit deeper into things that never existed at all, uh, I would love to see a new game like Warhammer 40K Space Marine. Uh, are either of you familiar with that game? No. I own it, and I'm familiar that it's a third-person action game set in the 40K universe, but I've never played it. It's It's been on my list. It's really cool. It's very well made. It's a, a fun, um, relatively simple action game, but it it really nails the tone of the Warhammer universe, and it nails the feeling of being this hulking, superhuman heavily armored monster that the space marines are and being able to just tear through uh in this game it's almost entirely orcs that you're fighting um which is great they're uh goofy they're reminiscent of grunts from halo um but it's a it's a fun game with a a fun narrative uh and interesting characters i think my favorite thing about warhammer in general is the the worlds and uh the aesthetics are and the the lore is really interesting um i'll play the tabletop games here and there but their systems are very loose in in a way that isn't very conducive to my style of wanting things to be precise and uh and to be able to know the rules inside and out so i don't have to worry about discrepancies or arguments or what have you um but I I think a new game in the in this series or in this style would be really fun to be able to play as a space marine and uh, have that sort of combat uh, that exemplifies just how different from a regular person uh, a space marine is. And if we're going all the way all out dream territory, I would love to see something representing the Horus Heresy which is sort of like it's a it's historical fiction for this world um 
this fictional world. It's set uh, 30,000 years into the future, not 40. Um, so 10,000 <laughs> years before 40K, and it details basically the fall of the uh, the Empire from its uh, fully reigning glory to the embattled, uh, often wasteland of a star system that it is today. There's a lot of intrigue and a lot of uncertain allegiances and a lot of great uh, characters and standout characters that I would love to see the stories of represented to see like even just the story of say Saul Tarvitz, who's one of the most interesting characters from the first handful of Horus heresy books um, to be able to see those represented in this big cinematic action game way, uh, I think would be a lot of fun. Uh, that said, there are 57 Horus Heresy novels, I want to say. Oh my um, gosh, holy crap. <laughs> uh, they're not making any more because there is a second series, The Siege of Terra, that is like finishing out the Horus Heresy story, and that's going to have like a dozen or more books in it. Um, so what you're telling me is you want... Uh, so God of War Combat, like new God of War Combat... Sure. Uh, with L- L.A. Noir detective <laughs> yes. <laughs> story. Yes, and also based a, on this... In the 30K universe. Yes, also based on this massive novel universe um, that is already a subset of an also massive universe. But yes, so I am fully dreaming, but even if I could just get another Warhammer 40K Space Marine, I'd be happy with that. They're pretty loose with their license, so uh, <laughs> you know your dream may be a reality. Uh, they're coming out with a new VR game, Age of Sigmar or something like that. Yeah, and um, some some other stuff too. So who knows? They make like twelve Warhammer games every yeah, year. Yeah, it feels like they'll give the license to just about anybody who wants it, which means that you kind of can't trust that those games are going to be good anymore. Um, I can probably count on one hand the number that I would really consider great. It's like Dawn of War 1 and 2, um, Space Marine, and the Vermintide games. That's about it. Mm-hmm. But uh, there is a uh, a new game from the Vermintide developer uh, coming out soon. Oh, yeah. Uh, that I'm very, very excited about. What's the title of it? I can't remember it. Oh, wow. Of course I can't remember it either. I know it is a 40K uh, era game, mm-hmm. um, and I'm pretty sure you play as Astra Militarum, the basic army dudes um which i was a little disappointed i was like come on i guess they have uh space hulk Deathwing. is that the is that the four player i don't know it's like a left for dead style yeah in that game but it also incorporates like alien it's very interesting but also brutally difficult but yeah there's a new fat shark as the developer of vermintide and and fat shark is developing a 40k one and i was i was so excited when i heard about that because it, it just seems like a cool universe. Um, but, but yeah, it, uh, I was like, Oh, you're kind of like three army people. And then like a, a troll, essentially, it's like a giant man <laughs> with like a bucket on his head and he has a grenade launcher. And I was like, uh, Oh, okay. I'm not as excited yeah. about this, but I'll give it a, I'll, I'll probably give it a shot after it comes out. Just, 
I, I think it's kind of fun uh, to be the sort of wimpier characters in a world like Warhammer where there are such massive threats because it it lets you feel the scale of it. Like kind of in the opposite way that Space Marine does where you are this giant threat chewing through tiny orcs. Um, well, in Vermintide 2, you are a god. Yeah. Like each character is insane with what they can do. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, we said we said Warhammer, and I saw Zach starting to fall asleep like through the <laughs> whole thing. Uh, but before we <laughs> nope. move on, though, I will say it's, it's called Warhammer 40k I... Dark Tide. Oh, there you go. Thank you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And Nick, uh, hey, maybe when that game comes out, we can do a stream Absolutely. because that would be fun. I love those games. Wonderful. I don't have any experience with Warhammer at all. Uh, literally nothing. So it's the world is fascinating. I've had Nick tell me a lot about it, and I've read some stuff online and i know that's super fleshed out and there's so much history and and depth to the to the lore uh but it's just something i've never touched on at all what they need to do is make uh trade paperback comics and then we can get (laughs) zach into it they probably have them i'm sure they exist uh well there is at least the the kieran jillen uh written uh ultramarines comic that is probably releasing a trade paperback soon uh, I know it's several issues into its run. I, I've been a big fan of the stuff written by him, so I would be intrigued to try that out. Likewise. I have not read it yet, but I'll get those first few issues and I'll report back. Perfect. And I suppose that is to me for my No, we're just going to end. No. You know, that's uh, all the time oh, we okay. have for tonight, folks. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> I, I had a hard time with this um, because... I, I got to thinking like Nick did about canceled games or sequels that never happened. And it there's so many, so many things like uh, Garrett's homework game, Chrono Trigger 2 didn't, doesn't exist, right? Like Chrono Cross kind of, but not really. Um, then there's something, I, I don't know a lot about the story, so I'm not going to dive too much into it, but a really great game uh, is Fez. And the second game was canceled out, like basically out of spite from what I understand. Like he just, it was a Twitter argument and he decided to cancel the game. Cause and basically like, quit game development entirely. Yeah. Phil Fish is a fascinating person. Um, and then, so I, then I moved into what's a series we haven't seen in a while. And uh, I was playing, when uh i mentioned earlier i was playing aria of sorrow a castlevania game and we have not had a new castlevania game since 2014 and it was not a good one in lords of shadow 2 and so i think my choice for this would be uh koji igarashi led castlevania 2d style game because i think those are all the best versions of castlevania i think symphony of the night uh, and the children that spawned from that, uh, specifically the Game Boy Advance games, are all incredible. And it, I think it was shown with the success of Bloodstained uh, that that style of game is still viable and still very much fun, and that he still has it as well. So I think that would be my choice. Yeah, that would be great, <clears throat> especially. Well, given the popular given the popularity of the Netflix series, the anime series that's come out, I think it's like in the forefront of people's minds because you have new fans, you have old fans of the source material. And so it is primed for, for them to do that. But the problem is Konami. Yeah. They don't make video games anymore. Basically. <laughs> no, they make pachinko machines. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so. mobile games. 
I would really love for someone to be able to throw like, hello, Microsoft, are you listening? <laughs> throw enough money at Konami and be like, let me buy all these licenses from you that you don't use, or at least let me license them for, for use, right? Like still, you can still own them to make your, your pachinko machines, but let's, let's get some development on a new uh, Metal Gear or a new, uh, although that granted that's a whole nother yeah. story, but or a new Castlevania, or, you know, they have so many good licenses that are just dormant. Yeah, can can you imagine? And that would be the perfect way for Microsoft to finally do what they have been trying to do since their inception, which is get a foothold in Japan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I would and love I, to I kind of feel like their next acqu- acquisition is going to be Sega. Sorry to tangent, but I really Ooh. think that they're going to throw a bunch of money at Sega and take them over because of a few things especially happening with game pass and a bunch of sega games appearing on there i think the only thing in their way really right now is nintendo which there's some very interesting rumors that that can be an episode in and of itself that i will i will sidestep yeah we don't need to get into the discussion of uh who should microsoft acquire but everyone uh, (laughs) no we don't want another disney situation Mm -mm. maybe you guys are against it i i'm kind of okay with it mostly as i mean to a point right there there's an extent where it goes overboard but if i don't think they even need to acquire these licenses from konami but whoever it is somebody just give them enough money to let you throw castlevania on your game and use the the property as it needs to be used i mean it's been seven years yeah come on well, and we and we, I was I was joking about it. Nick and I were joking about it earlier, but like Warhammer, they're just like yeah, whoever. I mean, these tiny developers from free to play games to like strategy card games to all these different things, right? They throw their license around. It makes me think of Stephen King, which Stephen King gives his movie licenses for like if he believes in the project, it's like a dollar is the fee <laughs> that he charges to use the oh, licenses wow, from his. That. Yeah, he he is like uh, that's why there's so many like spin-off TV things and so many different versions of his stories is because if the director is passionate about it and he believes in the project it's a dollar and he's like boop there you go you know I know it's not as easy in game development because of all the different you know strings that are attached to it but Marvel is starting to open the door you know where they were very super closed as soon as they got uh, acquired by Disney but now they're starting to open the door for Marvel. Unfortunately, what that meant is that we got a bunch of different uh, gotcha games on the mobile store instead of like some really good, mo- like really good games that come out. Um, but again, that can be a whole nother, <laughs> a whole nother episode. Yeah, I think there's a balance to strike where you're open enough to licensing, where you have some interesting people with interesting takes on it, like getting indie developers to look at your universe and say, what inspires you about this? Like, that's a really cool Mm -hmm. idea, but you also can't just let it be like Warhammer where it's so flooded with games in your license that you, it's not a selling point anymore where you can't just trust that, Oh, this is a Warhammer game. It'll be good because there are too many for that. Right. Well, you have to, I think you hit the nail on the head. You have to get a small team of passionate people to drive change, especially in the video game industry, as we see a lot of these AAA titles just suffer from bloat or not being able to actually hit their release date and having to push, and then it's still not done and updating and updating and updating. Where 
we're seeing the 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 breadth of the indie development world where we have all of this choice as consumers um, to to spend our dollar to go yeah I want to support this small project I like this idea and enough people do that and then they get acquired and get funding for their next big project and those are usually pretty good so I I'm I'm optimistic for the future of video games because we've just seen an explosion especially through the pandemic of small indie development teams getting um getting a foothold in in the uh in the industry i think that's a great call out i mean there's so many uh like you think about some of the best released reviewed games of the past five years so many of them are from these little known studios who haven't put out much content at all or in the case of like hades you've got um um, I may, the name is slipping for me. What is it? Uh, Super Giant. Nick? Super Giant. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Who just they've put out I think four games mm-hmm. and they've and every one is amazing and they just they're not a very big studio but they just put out incredible games because they have the the time to devote to it. Yeah, they take their time and they have a vision and they take the time to iterate on it and you get something like Hades, which is I think one of the best games ever made. Uh, the Dice Awards happened recently, and it pretty much swept them as much as it could. Um, yeah, I uh, I think you see some of this um, in the movie industry as well. Like the biggest example is Peter Jackson, uh, who was at the time a small director being given the giant budget for the Lord of the Rings movies, where um, you'll get uh, indie directors who are given gigantic big projects and that can be hit or miss because with all that money comes a lot of um, interference from uh, corporate control uh, and studio whatever Um, and so uh, I I hope that in gaming uh, there is a little more recognition to just step aside and let these creative people be creative I guess I just want to throw one last thing on uh, for my uh, my choice here, just because I was thinking about it as we were talking. My dream studio for this, uh, I Peter I, Jackson, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the video yes. game. Oh, like King that King Kong, Kong the movie, game. the game. <laughs> no, 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 just Peter Jackson. You play Peter oh. Jackson in his oh. daily oh. life. Um, I I'm tempted to say Team Cherry because of having recently played Hollow Knight, but I think a, a studio that would be interesting to handle this. Uh, would be Sabotage Studios, who made The Messenger. Ooh. And are currently working on Sea of Stars, which I also kickstarted. Um, but we are out of time. Uh, thank you for the question, Brad. That was a fun one. Yeah, um, thank you, Brad. That was awesome. Yeah. I don't imagine that anyone's beer uh, tastes have changed since our mid-episode check-in. So I'm going to say I'll use my, a... my infamous review. It good. <laughs> yep. Almost a spit take from Zach. That was great. Um, yeah, Wander is really growing on me. Uh, this is only, I think, the second beer of theirs that I've had. Um, I had a foreign export stout called Correspondent that they made that's also great. But uh, if you can find their beer wherever you are, you should definitely check it out. Uh, I had a hard time finding it anywhere other than like the local co-op, um, and that's even in Bellingham, so... Uh, I hope it's accessible in the the outer reaches of not Bellingham proper, but definitely check it out because they're 
they're really winning my heart. All right. Well, thanks for listening to this week's episode. Uh, as always, you can find us uh, on all the social places, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Cohops Podcast. And Twitch. Occasionally we do streams on Twitch, <laughs> also at Cohops Podcast. Um, you can find me at Zach Has No Pants on Twitter. Uh, what about you, Nick? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at nprinzing or on Instagram at nicholas.prinzing. And you can find me uh, Twitter at gmink16. All right, and that calls it for this week. So thanks for listening. Have a good night, everyone. See you next week. Thank you. <laughs>